Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Social Contract, a Commander podcast. I'm Mike Almond, and joining me is my co-host, Alex Lapp. Alex, what's up, man? Not too much, Mike. And this episode, we're going to have a good old-fashioned argument discussion debate. Yeah, one, one, of, those, one of those things where we're not necessarily on the same side. I hate you. Yeah, I was going to say, hopefully we can keep it civil, but it's yeah, totally Yeah, we'll, we'll keep it civil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so this actually was something that came up in a recent conversation I was having with somebody, um, and I thought it would be fun to kind of interject into the actual podcast and try and give it a platform. Is EDH pay to win? You know, we're talking about a format and magic at large where there are more cards than ever. It's always an increasing size. They're doing more releases for EDH-centric uh, actual sets and cards and as you're getting more and more of this actual product out there and acquiring more and more players it is worth diving into because we have a very expensive hobby potentially and i kind of want to explore the is this a pay-to-win game with you specifically you know magic at large um it, it's it's kind of a different conversation but for our format is it pay to win and i'm kind of excited to do that with you buddy yeah, I think this is a good conversation to have, and I think that there's a lot of angst amongst mm-hmm. people who play our format and other formats in Magic about costs and affordability and accessibility and the sunk cost of being invested in the game. And sure, a, emotions run high, really, for this kind of discussion, and uh, and that makes sense. So we're going to have a discussion about it, and mm-hmm. no matter what we say or conclusion we come to um, that may not align with with your lived experience. So if you have something to add to this discussion, uh, please let us know on our Twitter at EDH underscore social, and uh, we would be happy to continue this conversation with you. Yeah, because as we actually discussed it ourselves, you know, just as, as an outline, it is, is this a topic that we think would make for, you know, a good episode? I think what we discovered is we... We share very similar views, but we do disagree a little bit. Mm-hmm. And as but part of boring. that, it is boring. So yeah. we are actually going to take a pro and con uh, side to this and kind of actually not formalize, but I'm going to say legitimize the discussion a right. little bit further. We're going to play uh, so, the advocate of our respective positions, exactly. regardless of what we personally actually believe. Right. Uh, so I'm going to be on the side of no, it is not a pay to win format and i will be on the side of yes it is a pay to win format so there we are uh i'll tell you what we didn't do a coin flip or anything like that do you want to go first or do you want me to sure mike so i guess just do the abstract of uh, of the crux yeah. of my argument here and that's that at the end of the day this game costs money and however you choose to play it you're probably going to end up spending money somewhere along the way and as we'll discuss uh, there are a multitude of points where spending money or spending more money is going to have an impact that spending less money or no money would not have. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that that very fundamental effect where we're talking about 
uh, yes, money is involved. And the more you have of it, the better an experience you're going to have. And mm-hmm. if you have less of it, it's not that you're going to have a worse experience, but the experiences that you could have are limited. And uh, that's really going to be where I'm coming from in my argument, Mike. And that makes total sense. And the difference that I see is that having more resources available to you does increase the amount of things that you can do and the amount of options that you have. The difference with EDH versus magic as a whole is a couple of different options. The access to almost all of the cards in the actual history of magic and a lot of them not being very expensive at all. The amount of creativity that you can put into a deck um, and have a variety of options and the multiplayer format do afford a little bit more adaptability and it affords a little bit more strategy and creativity being the driving points of paying to win versus being able to win. Um, but we're going to get into that as we go forward here. So go ahead. Give me your opening. Give me your opening point here. Your opening salvo right. into the destruction so of my argument. My opening missile missive is <laughs> that there is no universal definition of affordable or pay to win. And I'm mm-hmm. not going to use this to derail the argument. But what I am saying is that for you or I, perhaps a $5 card is budget. And mm-hmm. a $20 card is so expensive that you might try to trade for it. Sure. For somebody else, a $20 card might be budget and a $100 card might be so expensive they have to trade for it. And for somebody else, a 20 cent card might be budget and a $1 card might be too expensive. Right. So everyone has different financial circumstances. And the fact of the matter is that the secondary market, the market of players and speculators and game stores, and uh, also wizards directly selling and trading and buying the various cards, uh, those are all exposed to the forces of the market. Uh, Not any idealized market, but there is a market there. And the results of that market is that the forces of supply and demand will tend to drive prices upward because we are dealing with a artificially, physically scarce uh, Mm -hmm. set of things that that we're talking about here. So... I mean, maybe to me, if a card is $1, I'm like, oh, that's not such a big deal. But for somebody else, $1 is like, man, if every card in my deck was a dollar, my deck would cost $100. I can't afford that. So you see what I'm saying? That for for you and me, we might think that the game's generally affordable. But for somebody else, for many other people, that could be us, you know, flashing our cash. Like, oh, my God, these guys can afford. I know that some of my decks, Mike, are hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. And they weren't all bought at once, but they were bought over time and traded for. And that's something that to quite a lot of people, if they had something this superfluous, and I will say this game is superfluous, even though we love it. Yeah. If they, if I were a destitute person, thank the Lord I'm not, and I had something superfluous that was worth thousands of dollars, I would mm-hmm. probably in good conscience have to sell it to support me and my family. Sure. Um, that's my opening missile. And especially in these times, I I totally understand where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. Here's a couple of the differences. What you're talking about there is 
the difference in what your budget is and how much you're willing to spend and what you think is a good investment for the deck and the experience and the experience that you're trying to get out of that deck. Like you said, a $1 card versus a $5 card versus a $20 card and how much that makes the deck overall. Like you said yourself, uh, you know, somebody could say, if, if every card that I have is the average of a dollar, that's a hundred dollar deck. And I know for a fact that it, again, I'd have several decks that are worth hundreds of dollars. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I do have some decks that are, you know, in that $50, even one deck that I, I went out of my way to make sure was $20 or less. Right. But at the same time, that's something that I actively did because I wanted to do that as a challenge to myself, mm-hmm. less than because it was something that was a necessity, right? And so, I think that's that's something that's very interesting. I don't mean to yeah. step on your lines here, but no, go ahead. Um, that's that's the other crux of my argument here, right? It's not that a a low cost deck or a budget deck, which is something that we'll get into uh, quite a bit here as we talk. Mm-hmm. It's not that budget decks are boring or less powerful per se. It's simply that when your limitation of a budget is imposed by your personal financial situation mm-hmm. that is very different from you mike who's in a different financial situation from this person making a budget deck for fun you 100%. can choose to make a budget deck or you can choose to go all out by your means somebody mm-hmm. who is not in your financial position and is worse off they don't have that choice they can only make the budget decks right and i think we'll get into this when we talk about you know, the pre-cons uh, in the very near future here. Because it's not its not a matter of, as far as I'm talking here, there is, it's not a matter of accessibility to be able to participate in the game. Because there's tons of ways that you can play for free. You know, when you get into the how much we talk about how proxies are a good thing, when we talk about uh, Cockatrice being a option that is a free deck building platform and ability to actually play games with other people that's fair but when we talk about the ability to pay to win you're absolutely right the person with the greater resources has an advantage if i am if i am at the starting line of a hundred meter dash and i am in my tennis shoes and i'm in wearing jeans and i am not i'm not prepared as much as somebody else who's spent really mu- spent money to get really nice track shoes and has a speed suit and has all of these options available to him that I don't. I'm still capable of beating them in a race, but it's going to be based off a lot more. I, I, there's a higher hill for me to climb. You're absolutely mm-hmm. right. And that is not the argument that I'm going to make. What I am going to behind s- the start line. Yeah. yeah. And even, even if I'm at the same starting line. But I'm not as prepared. Mm -hmm. That means it's more difficult for me to succeed than it is for them. Which, Mm -hmm. in some people's opinion, is pay to win. If it's not starting at blank state zero for everybody, then whoever has an advantage, they are paying to win. The difference is when you're talking about the fact that this is a game where creativity and deck building is huge. Mm-hmm. But the bigger possibility that you have that you don't have in most other games is it's a political game. Your ability to talk with other people and make things work in your favor and make deals and sway the conversation and sway some targets, things along those lines, 
that isn't necessarily something that anybody who's paying to win and has a you know thousand dollar deck if you're better at that than they are i'd think that you have a much bigger advantage than they do at the table what like do you think? i think you make you make some excellent points there and um for the record my personal beliefs are uh that regardless of the uh pay to win accessibility issues of the other formats of magic mm-hmm. if you were to make an argument that magic isn't pay to win in my opinion, the only format that you could possibly do that in is EDH, and it's because of the points that Mike just made. I Talking think we about agree. Creativity there. and politics—that's where yeah. we agree. Yeah. So that's not what I'm arguing about today. So, so I'm just going to leave that to Mike. And sure. I'm going to move on to my next point, which mm-hmm. is talking about this idea of budget cards and a budget deck. Right. Now, this is a line that just is very vague. Uh, lots of people and lots of content creators have gone to this line for a very long time. They'll say, "Okay." Well, you can't afford these $20, $50 staples, mm-hmm. so just make a budget deck. And I think for many years, that was some pretty reasonable advice. There was a plethora of online contents. For example, like Mitch from Commander's Quarter was making videos about these very, very budget decks. Mm-hmm. But Mike, we need to get down to brass tacks here, and Mitch realized this himself. It's that... Cards that are budget, cards that were budget, become in their own right popular in that niche, in that budget Mm -hmm. niche. So as they become more popular, the demand for them increases. And since the supply never goes up, they're never printing more of these cards without reprints. Mm -hmm. That means that their price will increase. And over time, this means that cards that were formerly budget and decks and archetypes that were formerly budget will now be priced out for many people. And this is not just a process that happened once and we're all like, oh man, we really have to check ourselves. This is something that's constantly happening at all times. So we need to be realistic when we're talking about things like, oh, well, this is a good budget staple and this and this and this. Yes, they all cost less than whatever staple that we're comparing them to. But Mm -hmm. the fact of the matter is that there are only a finite number of cards in this game, and there are only so many cards that are relevant to anything that EDH players would care about. There are a, a huge number of those, and sure. we certainly haven't run the well dry. No. But we need to be realistic here. Cards that were like, oh, look at this gem that's just pennies and no one's playing it. Those cards are now $5. Mm-hmm. And that process will happen again as people discover new budget staples. They will then become too expensive for people again. This process will never stop, Mike. And that is part of this idea that I'm arguing for pay to win. Things that are budget now will not remain budget. And things that are expensive now probably will never go back to being budget. Without a lot of reprints or something along those lines. Even with a lot of reprints, if a card is popular enough, multiple reprints can, it'll hit a price floor. And it just won't drop below it. Like, if they reprint Teferi's Protection three times in the next three sets, Teferi's I mean, Protection yeah. isn't going to become a $1 card. Like, no, I understand where it'll be a $20 or $30 card. Right. Here's, and I agree with what you're saying for the most part. The difference is, is when we're talking about, you know, budget brews and content creators, you know, with budget liens, like Mitch with Commander's Quarter, she said it specifically. And I'll even feed into your point. Mm-hmm. He was doing decks specifically that were less than 
fifty dollars. A couple they were less, were less than twenty five. Twenty five. Like, twenty five well, was his original. The then, original, yes. And then, and then he had to bump it up to fifty because he found that he was not able to continue making budget brews in the twenty five dollar range. I think what happened is that there was more of a clamoring because he put it out there as far as a hey. I can keep doing this, but I'm going to have a poll to where I'm going to get feedback from all of you. Do you think I should up the budget? Because I think I can do more stuff if we up the budget a little bit here from 25 to 50. But I also want to make sure that's in line with what all of you are asking me to do and the content that I'm creating. And I, I, I can look it up, but the, the poll was, it wasn't even a plurality. It was a vast majority Saying, well, that's the thing, yeah, isn't it? Like, that's that. democracy is the tyranny of the majority. It doesn't right. matter how many uh, people of of lesser means of wealth were uh, poor people were in his audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're outnumbered by us privileged folk who are able to afford a fifty dollar deck easily. Sure. And I mean, I'm not personally one of the people that voted in that poll, but me and people yeah. like me bowled right over those people. And That's fair. even even when he was making those twenty five dollar decks, mm-hmm. um, they would often come with with a rider, and that was that uh, out of necessity for his twenty five dollar tagline that he would not include the commander in that price. That is fair. Um, that is more than reasonable. Yes. So that's already kind of showing the the veneer wearing off, isn't it? That even when he was at twenty five and hadn't yet gone to fifty, he still mm-hmm. couldn't stay within his budget, and he was trying really hard. So then let's talk a little bit about, you know, you started with there's no definition of what is affordable mm-hmm. because it is it is going to change just like the same thing changes when we're talking about power level. That's even more gra- like something that we can grasp a little bit better. Yeah. And that's still all over the place, right? Nobody has a good grasp on power level. It's completely it's all over the place. So when we talk about paying to win. What does that mean? Does that just mean that you are going to try and win every game at the highest level every time? Because if that's the no. case, sure. No, but not that's all. not what we're talking about. We're we, exactly we are we are talking about a competitive, casual format mm-hmm. that more times than not is either with a play group of people that we are well established with, or it's at a local game shop or something along those lines where you can get a feel for what everybody's playing. You almost get to negotiate what your plan is and what you're dealing with by saying, hey, I've got this deck. And whether it's you saying it's a power level of blank or it's a uh, deck that I put this much money into it or I've put this many proxies into it, something along those lines. When you get to establish the parameters with the people that you're playing with, that means paying to win. I think it was DJ that said this uh, when he was when he was a guest on the on the show here. Reestablish what winning means to you. If it's just winning the game, if it's being the winner at the end of the game, everybody else is eliminated, you're still alive. Well, that's a different game. If it's you talking about making this deck and you getting to make it to just do the thing to make it pop off. I've got a Gishath deck that all I want to do is play enough dinosaurs in one turn. To where I feel the Jurassic Park music playing in the back of my head. That deck doesn't win very often. But it does a cool thing. And that deck is more expensive than a lot of the other decks that I have that are hyper-competitive. I've got a deck that I'd consider about an 8 
that I've spent maybe $35 into completely. But if I spent more money into that deck, would it be better? Possibly. Probably. But it's not a... It's not a... It doesn't ensure my victory if I put more money into a deck. And that's where this pay-to-win conversation... I don't think you can say that you will win if you put more resources into it. So that's where I, I don't know that it is a pay-to-win format. Well, Mike, I'm really just going to have to T-bone you here because <laughs> I agree with you and I'm going to come with a different angle on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree with DJ, who's a great guy, Jumbo Commander, search him up on YouTube. And he had a great point. You need to decide how you want to win. You need to decide what it means for you to have a good time, what it means for you to have fun. And that may not include winning the game. I agree with that. And I'm saying even if you take that as true, which I personally Mm -hmm. do, even outside the context of this debate, I still believe the game is pay to win because when you have more money, you have more options, more variety. You can make more in different kinds of decks. Maybe Gishath, like you said, very expensive deck. If you're a budget player and that's above your budget, you're just out of luck, aren't you? You don't get to have a fun dinosaur deck. And if I want to make some other kind of deck that's outside of my means, that wouldn't necessarily be a strong deck, but would be a fun deck for me, if it's out of my budget, I simply can't afford it. So it's not really an issue of, oh, I'm actually winning the game technically and I get the trophy. That's not, when I say pay to win, not really where I'm coming at. I'm saying it's still pay to win no matter what your definition of winning is, even if your definition is just having fun. Because I'll tell you right now, having more options available to you and being less restricted, imposing your own restrictions instead of being restricted by an outside force, your lack of funds, that's Mm -hmm. more fun. And having those options to build a silly dino deck that you might not have if you were poor, that's pay to win, Mike. Well, now we're not talking about pay to win. We're talking about pay to play. Because I I consider having fun winning. And that's fine. But what I'm saying is, if you told me that that's the case, if I tell you, hey, I can make that same Gishath deck for a quarter of the price and Mm -hmm. still do the thing that I wanted to do, I still want to win in my head by doing the cool Jurassic Park thing. Maybe a quarter of the price is still too expensive for someone. It can There's be, no definition of affordable. But if we're just talking about the fact that it could be out some, outside somebody's budget, that's where I get into the pay-to-play. Because the only option that you have then is borrowing somebody else's deck, which is free. And if that's the case, go ahead. But if you're talking about having your own deck and building something and actually owning it, Unless you're borrowing somebody else's deck, unless you're doing something on Cockatrice, well then, yeah, you're going to have to pay money to have the physical cards in your hand. Well, unless you decide to proxy it all, or unless you decide to borrow it from somebody. So, if we're talking about the fact that it's pay to win, well then, we're also talking about the fact that it's pay to play. Because, you're right, we can't establish somebody's budget. We can't say, unless it's something as a playgroup or your LGS says, all right, this week, $20 limit on the deck. 
unless something like that is done, then everybody's going to be working outside of their, you know, their constant resources or their situation. And you know what? I'm not going to be the dummy who comes out here and tells you that me buying one of the pre-cons from one of the more recent sets for $20, $25 is going to be able to come up and compete against somebody's Atraxa deck. I'm not that silly. I'm not that foolish. What I am saying is that if you are talking about paying to win, you get to set... This is the only format where you get to set the parameters of what you're doing and what the goal is of the game with the people that you're playing with. Not against, because you are playing against each other, but you are also doing a collaborative project. It is the social contract. It is you establishing these things. And if you're at a disadvantage and it's acknowledged and then you still decide to play, okay. If it's something where you're talking about, this is my deck, this is what I've got, and other people hear that and they realize the advantage that they have and they bring themselves down, quote unquote, if they're playing a less powerful deck, great, because you're trying to have the best overall gameplay experience. When you talk about paying to win, I start thinking about the upper echelon of competition. I'm talking, you know, not necessarily CEDH, but broaching that topic. Well, Mike, now you're arguing against, arguing against something that is not my argument. So, sure. Um, and I think that this is this would be a good segue to talk about something that's uh, even more real. Mm -hmm. And that would be, Mike, that not everybody can get to an LGS. Mm. There are limitations that go beyond being able to afford the cards in your deck. You say, just borrow them from a friend. What if my friend only has one deck? What if I don't have any friends? Mm -hmm. What if my LGS is 25 miles away and I don't have a car? What if I have to work long shifts because I need to be able to support myself and my family? And that means that I'm playing when the LGS is having its commander night. There sure. are other factors that encroach upon the real world that physically limit you from being able to play the game. They restrict your options for playing the game just in the same way that being poor restricts your options for building your deck. Mm -hmm. So you're getting hit coming and going, Mike. And I think that's something that we can easily forget. That's... So here's the thing. You're right in what you say. I'm, I'm, I, can't, I can't dismantle that argument, and I don't want to, because I'm not going to belittle somebody's access to being able to play the game because you're right if somebody has weird work schedule if somebody has the it doesn't have the ability to get to a local game shop or they don't have enough friends that are close enough to actually play it you're right that's going to stink for them and i feel bad but to say that there's no way for them to participate at that point well i just don't agree there are there are available applications to be able to call people set up a game, and try and play a game, whether it's on a free app like Cockatrace where you have access to every card in the game. And you can build a deck off of it for free. And you can do that endlessly amount, an endless amount of times. And you can find people, whether it's strangers playing, or go search on Discord. There are, just 
basing it a little bit. If you are somebody that looks into magic and you want to play magic, that means you have the access to be able to see where people are playing and find games. Might take a little bit of work. It might take a little bit more time than somebody who just gets to go to the store on Fridays at 7 o'clock. But it's available. That's where I'm at. It's not paying to win at that point. It's paying to play. And there's ways to get around that even. I, I, I don't play Magic Arena because they don't... And this is even more a little bit of my grandstanding and going a little bit off topic here. But after this, I promise I'm done. I don't play Magic Arena because Brawl, while fun, it isn't Commander. And Commander is what I like about Magic. Mm -hmm. But you can play Arena for free. You can never sink a dime into that game. And have decks that are powerful. So if you're talking about playing EDH, I think we've got more options than most. And even if you're not, there's more options available to you than nothing go ahead well mike we're we're just looping back to the options here aren't we because for you or for me and for many of our listeners we have the option to go to our lgs when there's Mm -hmm. not a pandemic we have the option to go over to a friend's house that we'll drive to with our cars or have other easy access to then we also have the option to play online on cockatrice or on spell table or on discord But other people only have access to some of those options. Mm -hmm. And to act like because they have some options, that should be good enough. That's what really bothers me, right? That they should be all well and good with digital play. Now, I'm not restricted to digital play, and I'm very picky about it, Mike. I like to play in person. And that's a luxury that I can afford because I have a car and I have the money to buy a paper deck. Mm -hmm. But... If I wanted to, I could still play online. So I have the option for either one, but other people don't have the option for both. So saying that the options exist are really saying that we have the options, that privileged players have the options. Poor players have much fewer options. And to me, that's the crux of my argument. The options are fewer, or maybe they have no options at all. When you say the options are fewer when they have less resources to do as many things as someone like you or I. Mm -hmm. I'm not arguing that. I can't argue that. But if you tell me that we're talking about sitting down at the table together, because that's what we're talking about here, the ability to sit down at the table and play with a deck and win with that deck, it's a different argument. Because if we're talking about the idea that so many things have to align to even show up at the game shop or show up with the cards or have the cards at all or have a card or have a friend with a card. We're talking about the difference between the ability to play the game and the ability to win the game. Mike, you keep saying that, and I'm going to cut you off here. I don't mean to be rude, but the first step of winning the game is playing. It's okay. (laughs) I hit you. Uh, The first step of winning the game is playing the game. And arguing that my points are not relevant to our discussion or mm. don't count against uh, the arguments that you're making because I'm talking about paying to play, I'm sure. like, that's the first step toward winning. And that's fair. I'm not trying to argue that they're invalid by any means. I'm saying that if that's the starting point, then there's not even a debate for us to be ha- for us to have. 
because because <laughs> at a certain point, like, what are we gonna say? Okay, well, if somebody can't show up or buy a card or have a friend that can loan them a deck, did, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna argue? Did you just concede? <laughs> no, I'm saying if the point is if that's our starting point, where well, if you give me individual, if you give me an individual that says. I can't afford to go to a game shop. I don't have a friend that has a deck that I can borrow. I don't have friends that are willing to play the game with me to play in, you know, a home setting. And I don't want to play any of the online versions of the game. Well, let's let's slow that roll, Mike. I don't want to play. Now we're making it sound like they had an option and they decided not to. And that could be the case. But there's also another scenario. And that is players who don't have access to reliable high-speed internet connections, okay? That is a limitation that some people can have that would inhibit their ability to even play online. If we are talking about somebody who has no access to not just the cards being something that they can put in their hand, but the access to players, the access to a game shop, the access to transportation to a game shop, the access to internet to be able to play any of these games, etc. First of all, I don't know that they're listening to our podcast. They darn well could be. But if they are, I have, and this is this is not going aside tangent kind of thing. This is, I have been comfortable as I am now, and I have been very, very, very uncomfortable and not had any money. Mm -hmm. If you want to find a group of people to play Magic with, and you absolutely cannot, then I feel for you. But I don't know that you can base the entire argument off of, well, if somebody doesn't have access to internet, cards, friends, or transportation, then they can't play. And that means that it's pay to win. I I would say that's where you're wrong because I absolutely can and will base my argument off of that because even if we're not talking about the rundown hypothetical player that Mm -hmm. super wants to play but has no access to absolutely anything that would allow them to play online or offline, Mm -hmm. you can say, well, that person barely exists. They probably don't even listen to our podcast. Sure, that's fine. Now, they do exist and they might listen to our podcast, but that's beside the point. Sure. What I'm saying is that for each of those individual roadblocks, hypothetical roadblocks that we've set up in front of our player, each one of those is making the experience more difficult. And all I'm saying is this is more difficult. This player has less of an ability to play, to win, or to have an enjoyable time due to these obstacles. And you're saying, well, that just means they have to work harder. Absolutely not. I'm not. I'm not saying it's a boot. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps kind of argument. I'm not that guy. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you are talking about every roadblock that exists to just getting to the position where you get to sit down at a table, including the option of if you have internet and not wanting to do that, which is something you specified, because you want to actually have the physical cards and sit down at the table. I'm saying the ability to play and the ability to win while yes those things need to happen more times than not are not a have to in the same way that if i asked you can a precon is a precon capable of beating a thousand dollar deck 
In theory, yes. In theory, yes, but also it's happened. So if sure. we're talking about the ability of something to be a problem, then we also have to talk about the ability of something to overcome everything because you just had the best draw and the other person didn't. In a game of variability, and it's been decided that Magic is the most complicated game of all time because the amount of interactions, the amount of cards, the multiplayer format that exists, there's not a more complicated game as far as what can be done. If, if that's not the starting point of, okay, if somebody can't get to the table, well, that's not just a resources issue. I could be working really, really hard. I could, I could, I could be fis fiscally doing just fine. But if I work on Friday nights, and those are the only nights that I can meet up with people, is that is that an issue of me not being able to pay to play, to pay to win? Yeah, I. You're putting your work above the game. That means that you have no option but to work, even if you have enough money to live comfortably, which I'm imagining in this scenario that you do. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't have enough money that you can afford to not work on Fridays and go play magic with your friends. That's analogous to the issue that I'm talking about. It's not the same, but it's similar. But now we're not talking about the life. Now we're talking about life issues as opposed to deck issues. Life, and, and life issues and deck issues both come together to make a game easier or harder to get access to, Mike. I just, I don't know. I, I, I get where you're coming from. I just feel like let's it's, swerve here because we're we're talking in circles now. So yeah. let's let's talk about some other life. Welcome issues. to the podcast. Yeah, right. <laughs> let's let's talk about some other life issues that might. Uh, be relevant to our conversation. Let's talk about one that's happened to me. I know it's happened to Mike and it's uh -huh. happened to a lot of people that we've talked to. And Mike, that's getting your cards or your entire collection stolen. Sure. And then making the hard decision of either having to start from scratch or for many people, that's the last time that they will ever play magic. Mm -hmm. Not just because that's a very discouraging thing and it is, but because that might have been a significant store of value that they had, which is now gone forever. Right. So a very common occurrence, and I'm not going to say anything about, oh, well, you shouldn't have locked it in your car. It can happen to anyone. Right. Absolutely. Right? So if it can happen to anyone, rich or poor, mm -hmm. and when it happens, some people can begin to recuperate. And start to trade for some cards and start on some budget lists and begin to play the game again. For some other people, that might just be, wow. I spent six months curating my deck and mm -hmm. it was a hundred dollars. And that was the most expensive non-necessity thing that I owned. And now it's gone. I literally cannot afford to make another $100 deck even over the course of months and have it be lost again. Mm -hmm. The money that I've now sunk irreversibly into my cards is gone and I can't afford to start up again. This is, it's a random happenstance and it definitely happens and it's devastating to everyone, but especially to those without financial means, they're in the hole and they might never be able to get out, Mike. I will I will go back to this. How much does a proxy cost? Paper it's written on? Zero cents? 
you are capable of making a deck of literally anything, as long as you have the right people to play with. And mm. that is something where I, I'm, I'm mentioning this because you can absolutely tear it down. Oh, we're going to have a discussion about proxies. Oh, I'm sure we are. Yeah. I think I think that's actually, you know what? We're going to lean into that now. That's, that's where that. we're going. <laughs> proxies are the great equalizer because whether it's because it's something that, you know, I've got proxies of cards that I own because I don't like swapping them back and forth because I don't want to mess up the card. Because you're right, this is an expensive game and it's mm -hmm. an investment. But I've also made proxies of things just to have proxies of things. Right. And when you talk about the inability to have access to cards, I'm more worried about the inability to the access of people. Because when you talk about the pay to win on the game being expensive, well, if you sit down and you find a playgroup, whether it's at an LGS or whether it's your friends or something along those lines, or even online, online you're not spending any money for the cards mm -hmm. on, a, on several sites, or you're spending pennies for the e-card as opposed to the actual physical copy. Man, cardboard is really expensive. Yeah, no kidding. But when you're talking about proxies... Well, then your options are limitless. You can literally say the words, hey, I don't have the money to pay for this deck. Or I'm building this deck with proxies because I want to see if I want to invest in these cards in the future. If there's a conversation and there are and there are vehemently people that are just absolutely not going for it. No, proxies are the, the devil. I hate them. I spend money on my cards. So why can't you? Well, that's because you're talking about different circumstances. And I think that's part of where we're going to lean into here when we're talking about proxies. Mm -hmm. As a podcast, we love them. Oh, yeah. We always oh, encourage them. love my proxies. But, I, but that is absolutely not to say that I don't recognize that they can rub people the wrong way. Or they can feel, they can feel less good to use when you're playing against somebody that might have the actual real copy of whatever you're proxying. I understand that there's some discomfort there and I Absolutely. don't diminish it. Now you brought up one side of this problem, which is that you may end up with a group of players with a pod mm -hmm. that has some weird moral objection to proxies. And you know what, whatever their reasoning is, that's fine for them. They just live their best life. However, yep. I personally have a bone to pick with those people because <laughs> you're right. Proxies are the great equalizer and the the cost of a mana crypt is $200, and the cost of a proxy mana crypt is maybe $0.02. Cents. Yep. And that, in my opinion, outside of this debate, is just the greatest thing ever, and proxies are great, and if you use proxies, I love you, and please continue to use proxies as long as you feel the want or need to. However, yep. proxies are not an all-covering solution. They're not the Correct. panacea. Because on one side, you have what Mike talked about. You might have players that get indignant. There's a war pick for my cards. Whatever the reasons are, they have them. Then on the other side, Mike, we have our LGS, Friendly Local Game Store. Some LGSs, like mine, are cool with proxies. And that is great. Yeah. I'm really happy to represent an LGS that is okay with proxies for the game of Commander. 
because Commander is largely a non-sanctioned format. And for the most part, we're just playing for fun. Yeah. And when you're playing for fun, proxies are okay. However, Mike, Commander is the most popular format, sanctioned format in Magic. And as this format continues to grow and evolve, and as Wizards starts to move it in new directions, we have seen these things happen where they'll hold a store event for EDH. That event is sanctioned. The store has to report that event, and that means that they can't allow proxies at that event. You may have heard of CEDH tournaments. They're not common, but they do exist. There's been a they couple of exist. them. Yep. Uh-huh. Mostly a side events at, uh, at Grand Prix. And at those events where they play with paper CEDH decks, proxies are not allowed because mm-hmm. that's a sanctioned tournament. Now, I know, I have no delusions about the fact that right now, Talking about EDH tournaments like they're an important thing that matters is silly <laughs> because they barely exist. And even the ones that do, most people don't care about them. We, Mike, we're, we're saying this in the context of this conversation. We understand. In the future, mm-hmm. there is a strong possibility that EDH may become a much more formally sanctioned format by Wizards that has prize support. That's sure. something that could happen. They could have events for them that are more casual, but it's still sanctioned. And even if they don't have those, stores can still choose to not allow proxies in games of EDH. Mm -hmm. And because of these things, proxies are not the solution for everything or the solution for everyone. They are a great solution, but they don't solve the core problem. And that is that paper cardboard spends anywhere. And everyone will accept it. And if you can afford it, then you're golden. Mm-hmm. Proxies, some will accept and some won't. So now you have the issue of, okay, I'm a player that has proxies in my deck, or I have an entire deck of proxies. There are some people that I can't play with ever. There are some stores that I can't play at ever. And any official event, I will never be allowed to play at with the deck that I have it as it is constructed. The options that I have are limited. I don't have the same choices that a player of means has. And that, to me, is the main issue with proxies, even though personally, Mike, I love them. So here's the thing, and it, I don't want to keep circling back, so I'm going to avoid that. If everything is built off the principle that all of these hurdles exist in front of you, mm-hmm. I am not the guy that's going to say, we'll just jump over them and overcome them. I am going to be the person that says, if you don't have the capability of spending $20 on a deck or on finding the friends to play with you or on making proxies and having people that are willing to let you play with those proxies, whether it's the LGS or anything along those lines, if there are all of these hurdles the only thing I can ask you to do is reach out. Whether it's you listening to us and you want to play and you just don't have the access to play, well, send us an email. Send us a a tweet. And we will do our very best because I'm I'm a part of some great discords where people are asking for a game all the time. The point is that there are a lot of toxic things and I'm using that word very specifically. 
there are a lot of toxic aspects of Magic the Gathering and even EDH. And sometimes that's players who, by the way, if you're a player and you're really mad at somebody because they're using a proxy deck and that's literally what they can do, go to the CEDH table. Go sit on a fence post, please. Yeah, like I'm... Like, everybody's doing the best they can, especially now. Making somebody defend their proxies to you, and you don't even know whether or not they can afford them, but that's a possibility, which it is. No matter what the reason is that someone's using proxies, it is not your business to needle them about their financial situation until they play with real cards. Please, I don't like that attitude, and go away, don't play with me. At the same time, if they're they're playing their Caracas and they're being the most hateful human being on okay, the entire That's an entirely planet. separate thing. Then you can ask a couple of conversations. Okay. Power <laughs> to, and proxies are two separate issues that have gotten 100%. And I appreciate that. Yeah, my my point is that EDH is uniquely enabled through mm-hmm. some patchwork means, through being semi-sanctioned, through having proxies allowed sometimes through having uh, the political system where players can cut deals and and do things outside of the game that allow them to uh, interact with the game in ways that are not necessarily contingent upon their ability to spend money within the game. EDH Mm -hmm. is uniquely empowered in that way. And that's the point that I'll concede to Mike. If there's any format in this game that isn't pay to win, and I'm not saying there is one, it would be EDH. However, those things alone do not an accessible format make. And with that, I think we can go to our break. Absolutely. Uh, The great equalizer is people. If you got people, you got an option. But, yeah, sometimes it's still pretty pretty limited. I think think we're both good on that. Um, So we're actually going to go ahead and talk about a couple of trends uh, with some cards that, you know, Feed into both of our points in kind of a weird way. And then one unifying card that ties it all together. Uh, And then we're going to go to a couple of options that you might have to beat the budget whenever you have an opportunity right after our break. All right, we're back. Alex and I uh, beat each other up, uh, uh, you know, to get get our points across. You should see the other guy. Oh, my gosh. It looks terrible. Just so many physical and emotional wounds. Uh, but now, I gave him a plug. <laughs> uh, but now, we're going to talk about some of the trends that have actually been a part of uh, budget and kind of the MTG finance, which is a phrase I hate saying, to be completely honest. But I don't know a better one to use here. In our ooh, can I see that? We're going to talk about, I think, probably three of one of the uh, three of the most well-known cards in Magic in this kind of category. And kind of trace how that's worked with budget in the past. And Alex, why don't you go ahead and start for us? Yeah, Mike. So the card that I want to bring up is Wayfarer's Bubble. Mm -hmm. And this is a card that everyone knows. Again, in this segment, we're not going to be talking about rare cards, but we're just going to be bringing some cards to the forefront to to talk about our points here. And Wayfarer's Bubble, in my mind, is an excellent example of a budget card that has become not so budget. And this sort of exemplifies my point that I made earlier about how we have this idea in our mind of, oh, just play budget. But those budget cards, Mike, they keep getting more expensive. Uh, Let's read Wayfarer's Bubble. Mm -hmm. So Wayfarer's Bubble is an artifact for one 
and it has the activated ability to tap and sacrifice. Search your library for a basic land card and put that card onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. Now, Mike, this card is ramp. Mm -hmm. Ramp is good. And it's not just ramp, it's land ramp. Land ramp is a very reliable, very difficult to interfere with type of ramp. And it's at a good rate. Three mana to ramp one land is only one mana more expensive than what green would usually pay. And this is a colorless artifact. So I think it's safe to say that Wayfarer's Bobble is or has been a budget staple. But that's the problem. Mm-hmm. As as Mitch from Commander's Quarters was pained to discover, this card that was once pennies is now a three to four dollar card, Mike. And I think for some of our listeners, they might just be scoffing at that, like three or four dollars. I could easily afford that. I would like to caution you and direct you back to the beginning of our conversation, where we talked about how not everybody has the same definition of affordable. And Especially for, some... for something that is considered a staple. And yes. instead of talking about just how much it is, let's look at the increase, like the percentage increase. This yeah, Mike, is tell, me about the, climbed... tell me about the stonks. So... <laughs> when, did it, when did it go up and, and how much did it go up by? So, again, this is a card where if you were buying it in bulk... Also, for reference, you're... it's been reprinted 10 times. So it's not it's not just a new card. It's It hasn't been reprinted in a while, but it's not just a new card. And... Something that started off as less than a quarter is now, like you said, it's gone up to three and a half, four, four and a half dollars. It won't stop there. So you're talking about a like an increase of more than ten times in price. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about something being budget, that's why it's in. That's why it's budget because right. it hasn't done that significant increase. Three dollars might be not very much, but when every budget card in your deck has gone from thirty cents to three dollars. Now your mm-hmm. deck costs ten times as much. Instead of costing a hundred, well, now it costs a thousand. There, there's something where, when a card, and we'll get into this a little bit further on my card, when it's first released and it's oh wow that's a staple. Mm-hmm. Well, it inflates in price and then it might decrease. But then there's things where when it's found, like Wayfarer's Bobble and being put out there as hey this is really good ramp. It was heavily advertised for a decent yeah. value for everywhere, and then it's advertised and then it's found and then it's found again and then it's found again and it's talked about that's what we're doing it, too we find budget like yeah. very inexpensive cards that are very not played and mm-hmm. lots of content creators do this they'll talk about these cards and people who are much more famous than us not us specifically but people who talk about a card uh, maybe and they have many hundreds of thousands of listeners they'll talk about it and then somebody or a group of people or just everybody will go out and buy that card and bada bing bada boom it's no longer budget and that right. can happen just from one person's input. Talk about over the course of years, like we're talking about here. That's how a card can increase by 10 times its value. Mm-hmm. And that's why, I mean, this is, it's it, when you're looking at it on EDH rec, it's in almost 55,000 decks. Well, it's also been in four pre-cons. What's that? It's also been in four pre-cons and a commander anthology. Sure. So sure. many of those are pre-cons. Absolutely. And that's that's part of where it's this is an absolutely popular card. And I wouldn't call it a staple. Because with it being in pre-cons, we're also looking at, you know, every like everything all in all. We're looking at about 10% of decks, which is a lot. 
I'd call Don't that get staple me status. If you're in ten percent of decks and you're an artifact, it's that you have a good argument for that being a staple. But that's semantics. Exactly, and that's kind of where I want to go into my card here. Um, so the one I want to talk about is Arcane Signet mm. because when I remember this, that card being expensive. I I do too, and I remember when it was something that they were putting into the brawl decks, and that's when it first was. Oh, was like, look at this. Look at this rock. You could pre-order it for $35, $40 plus. Mm-hmm. And it was like that for a while. And there were enough people out in the magic community that were saying, do not do this. <laughs> Don't worry. This will exist in the future. But fear got a lot of people to pre-order that Arcane Signet and get enough of them to put in every one of their decks because, I mean, now it's sitting... And, and again, this is in a lot more pre-cons, so don't get me wrong. Don't get it twisted. But we're talking about 39% of decks on EDH rec. Right, and so that's, that's more than just a staple. That's like... Yeah. That's that's a mainstay. That's That's an iconic card. This is unfortunately one of those cards that I hate because if it's not in your deck. It probably should be. You probably should be, which means you're doing something wrong depending on who you're talking to. I hate that kind of stuff. I don't like when I've got the 99 and I have to take, well, here's this card that has to go in here. Here's this card that has to go in here without any semblance of of actual reasoning based off my commander or what the deck is trying to do but that all aside arcane signet was a card that was in the 30 plus dollar range even after the brawl decks came out and people would buy it for that card there were a couple of the first brawl decks there were a couple that were oh i'm gonna buy this brawl deck to get these two cards and arcane signet was one of them now, mm-hmm. you're looking at about a $2 card. So when we talk about the increase that happened with Wayfarer's Bobble, then we also look at the stonks decreasing for Arcane Signet. Also, it's really fun to say stonks. So I thank you for bringing that to my attention. Absolutely, Mike. Um, if, if a card goes down from $30 to 2 over the course of... When did Arcane Signet come out? Was that last year or the year before? Uh, it came out in the Throne of Eldraine Brawl Decks. And that would have been 2019, October. Okay. okay, so late, so essentially at this point, a year and a half ago. Right. And it's gone down that significantly. Well, it's been I, reprinted six times since then. Right. And that's part of it. I, I don't, like, that's not part of it. That's the issue. That's the whole thing. It's, it's the whole thing. Uh, so what I'm trying to say is the reason that Magic can be and usually is i'll I'll leave now that we're outside of the debate uh now that (laughs) now that i can uh say everything magic can speak your can be and usually is a pay to win format Mm. it's because of things like this because cards can be selected to reprint or not and this is one of those cards that was extremely high budget and they didn't reprint because it was high budget they reprinted it because it was a staple to the thing that they were trying to do. And whether or not they do that with every card, I don't know. So why don't we talk about 
I don't know, would you call this card the staple of the format? I would call it, if Commander had a card, this would be the card that Commander is. Yeah. And it's not merely because it's technically the most played card, even though it is the most played card. It's mm-hmm. that this card has come to be synonymous with Commander. Right. And that card is Soul Ring, of course. Now, is now, Soul Ring allowed in any other format? Soul Ring is only allowed in Vintage, where it's restricted, mm-hmm. and in Commander. The only other deck, sorry, the only other format where it would be legal is Legacy, and it's banned in Legacy. Let's talk about the journey of Soul Ring. Sure. It's been reprinted like a hundred times, and I'm not it's, even joking. No, it's 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 been reprinted it in... Yeah. It's, it's been there forever. And it's been there to where it's not just, oh, this is this card that came in a couple of sets. It's now printed in every Commander set. Every one. So there's tons of it, right? But if you look at the yeah. actual pricing on it... It's rock what happens, solid. It, it's, it, it's hot. It's mana rock solid. But it's mana rock solid. This card is consistently, depending on the time of year, between 2 and $5. This card has been printed in every Commander set, in every Brawl deck, in a ton of different places, as a million different promos. This is one of the most reprinted cards in the entire game, and there's really only one format that plays it, and yeah. still... Still, it's over two dollars one hundred percent of the time, which it I just don't understand. What do you mean you don't? That's market forces. Everybody but wants one. I understand, but tell me how much a. I, and I get I get ramp versus not. Don't get me wrong, but think about command tower, the land. Okay, command tower doesn't make you go positive on mana. I I, I understand, but hear me out. Command tower is a card. That it wasn't expensive, you know, by the by the realms that we're talking about. But what does the what did the journey for that card do? Another card that's only been printed for commander sets and commander and in commander decks. But that is a card that I remember when a command tower was a dollar card. Well, the original still is. Right. But now how much can you get a command tower for? Well, if you buy the newest one, that'll run you between 30 and 40 cents. So it's a card that's gone down, and that's in the newest set. It's been in Kaldheim. It's been in Commander Legends, Commander 2020, every previous Commander set, of course. It's been in every single Commander set, all the way back to 2011. And it's also been made a promo. Um you're talking about a card that is somewhere between unless you're going for the extended art or the promos or something along those lines. It's a card that used to be over a dollar and now you can find it at places that are 15 cents, 17 cents. I think there's something to be said for the fact that even though it realistically does go in almost every commander deck that has a non-zero color identity, that all the same, as popular as Command Tower is, and it is extremely popular, it is not a 
fun, iconic card in the same way that Soul Ring is. When you drop a command tower, you know, you're fixed for your turn, but it's not like, ooh, what a blowout play. With Soul, If Soul Ring comes down turn one, even today, and I've been playing this game for years, that's still yeah. a blowout. Where I'm coming from is... It's not just the power of the card, because I totally recognize the differences. It's 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 a little bit strange to me that this card that goes into, admittedly, slightly less decks. As far as just kind of like a blanket statement. Because if you're playing a colorless deck, well then Command Tower doesn't do anything for you. Mm-hmm. Don't I know it. <laughs> it's in 65% of decks, so it's in a ton. Yeah, what's soaring right. in, like, 89%? Uh, 77. Oh. Yeah. That has gone way down. So, I get that Soul Ring belongs in more decks. What I'm saying is the ax- the absolute price decrease and the stonks going down stonks. and what I think will continue to go down versus Soul Ring, where we're talking about the fact that it fluctuates, but it stays in this wavelength bouncing up and down in these two tiers. And I it's I don't know why that is. That's what I'm saying. I'm speculating that when you're when you're making a commander deck from scratch, mm-hmm. a lot of people will start with Soul Ring. But not a lot of people will start with Command Tower. I guess. And there's really a myriad of reasons for that, but again, the first one is that Soul Ring Realistically speaking, for almost every deck, and I know you hate this, it is the one of the best mana ramp cards that you could possibly be running. Mm-hmm. But Command Tower isn't necessarily one of the best lands you could be running. Now, that it is, is good, reasonable. and it does fix you, but I'll tell you right now, Mike, I'm a big fan of fetch lands, and fetch lands don't find Command Tower. That's fair. So okay. that's, that's my read of it. No, I, I get that. I think I think I'm more projecting the fact that I'm annoyed that Soul Ring doesn't go down more in price. Everybody, as well as all. everybody wants I, it. I just if it's gonna be a staple, I wish it would. I wish the staples that everybody has to have, or everybody should have, if they want to run as optimized a deck as they want. I, I wish they, I wish the price would come down a little bit, but that just is what it is. So I, let's. Move on here and talk about some ways to get past some of the issues that you might have budget-wise. And not necessarily, you know, like I said before, it's not a pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps kind of thing, because that phrase is impossible, and I hate it. Mm -hmm. But you know what you can do? You can try and get creative to give yourself more options than you would if you need to. And I think the one that we start with, it's proxies themselves. It like right. it, we don't have to go way into it again, because we basically hammered down the hey. If you want to make proxies, make proxies. Do if it. If you're somebody that doesn't want proxies at their table, go to a different table because I don't want to deal with you. Yeah. Proxies are awesome. Always use that as, as an option. Alex, what else do we think will help somebody if they're trying to beat the bank and try and have some fun if they're playing on a budget? Yeah, Mike. Well, you did uh, refer to it in our argument, and I never really addressed it beyond that it's another option that poor players don't have. But um, this is definitely something that is more accessible than the LGS, and that is playing online. Mm -hmm. Um, Because playing online 
typically, depending on where you're going, uh, as long as it's not Arena or Magic the Gathering Online, you do have access to the entirety of Magic's catalog, whether that's through uh, Cockatrice, Tabletop Simulator, um, or another one of the uh, online MTG Simulator websites. Mm -hmm. Your options are much vaster and much more accessible than they were if you were making a paper deck from scratch. Sure. And that isn't a solution for everyone because you do need a steady internet connection that doesn't drop out. And if you're playing um, on, for example, Tabletop Simulator, that's a paid game. You have to own that game to play it. That is true. And uh, and that may be true for other uh, tools that you use. Cockatrice is free, granted, but it's not the most fully featured tool, and it can be a little bit off-putting because it is... Uh, just by appearance, it's a highly technical-looking program. It's very intimidating. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel friendly in the same way that, for example, Magic the Gathering Arena does, which is free-to-play, but they do heavily encourage you to spend money. And I don't think that it's a legitimate argument to say, oh, well, just don't spend money on Magic Arena, because the entire game has specifically been crafted around using psychological tricks to entice you into spending money. So berating people who uh, fall for it, so to speak, is, is just silly because they're literally banking their entire business on the hope uh, and the promise that people will fall for it, as it were. I haven't spent any money on Magic Arena, but I also haven't played it as much as I'm sure other people have. Mm -hmm. So I, it I, also isn't, I see your point. It's, it's not a fully proper substitute because, like as you said, even if you enjoy playing Brawl, which I don't, it's 1v1 Brawl and did they even have access to the entirety of Brawl? I, they might, but... Like, I believe you can't, they do. You and can't then play they have Commander, and you can't play four-person Brawl. Right. They have historic Brawl for some of the... They do that in some sessions as far as giving access to older cards as well. And then mm -hmm. Brawl is, hey, here are the, here's the rotating set that's available for... Well, not everybody is a fan of Brawl, though. We like EDH yeah, for absolutely. a reason. The card selection. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. I... Like I said, when we're, we're talking about MTG Arena. They're, right. we're, so there we're, are options. It's not apples and oranges, but it's at least like green apples versus red apples. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? There are options to to go online and, and have a good time playing Magic for free. Mm -hmm. But those options aren't solutions for everyone. And for some people, those are the only options they have. Sure. Some people might not have any options. So, Mike, what's another option that people might have? Well, it's one that you've actually brought up uh, several times before. And... This is if we're talking about the, am I going to invest money into cards? Mm -hmm. Well, test it before you're buying anything. Make sure that you really want to be invested in the thing that you're going to invest actual money in. Because now at this point, if it's a, if it's a deck that you've thought of, and it's a deck list that you've created, you've invested your time. If you're going to invest more time and you're thinking about buying these cards, well... Don't buy any of them until you test it out, whether it's with proxies or with uh, one of these online apps or something along those lines. So it's not a waste of money because I've done this before. I made a deck and I made the I made the entire deck list and I was like, okay, great. And then I ordered all the cards that I didn't have. And then I got halfway through my first game with the deck and went, oh, I actually don't like this. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I have those cards forever now. If I ever want to change things up, 
and play that deck, or if I want to make something similar, if I want to put those cards somewhere else, I have them, which is fine. But because I didn't test it out, and because I didn't play it out and see if it was something that I was going to actually enjoy, I've got this bad taste in my mouth, and it's this this sunk cost. Exactly, the sunk cost. Even though I've got those cards, and even though I have access to them forever, it feels like I wasted money because it's not what I want to do with those cards. So part of the playing on a budget and part of you know making the most out of your resources, if you don't currently have those cards in hand and you're going to go get those cards to make something, make sure that it's something you really want to do and will have a lot of fun with in the long term as opposed to buying them and then finding out after the fact. Alex, why don't you go ahead and close us out here? Yeah, Mike, I think that we've talked a lot about some issues that really cut to the heart of some of the problems with our format. And Mm -hmm. indirectly, these these are also problems with our society, problems of inequality and, and lack of access and just not having as many options. And I hope that we talked about these in a respectful and knowledgeable way. But the fact of the matter is that neither of us are particularly destitute. So if you were hearing this episode and you have some strong feelings about it one way or the other, we want to hear from you. And Mm -hmm. I think uh, that we would definitely like to, to have a talk with you. So please let us know. Uh, if you have any feelings about the things that we've talked about, if you have any experiences where maybe you had an issue with uh, with not having enough money in the game of Magic. And uh, as Mike said, if you are in a situation where you want to play Magic, but through one or more problems, you literally are not able to, um, mm-hmm. I'd like you to reach out to us too. And charity is not anything but a Band-Aid, but at least it's a Band-Aid that that you or I can place. Um, I think ideally we would want Magic to be a game that's free for everyone and everyone can play any card they want and uh, we can all just have an excellent time and there's no limitation but our creativity. But that's currently not the world we live in. Maybe someday. And until then, I hope that you'll uh, play with us and and listen to us. And uh, let's sign it off here. You can find me. I'm Alex on Twitter at <laughs> Lappermedic. And if you have any judge questions, you can, of course, get me on Twitter, DM me, or you can email me directly at alex at edhrec.com. And uh, Mike, where can they find you? Uh, so they can find me at the actual podcast Twitter, uh, which is at edh underscore social. You can also email us directly at the social contract edh at gmail.com. Part of everything that we're talking about with this is literally the social contract. It is having an understanding with the people that you're playing with, trying to make things to where it's the most enjoyable experience possible. And I hope that some of what we've done today can lead you to having more fun playing the game. If not, please contact us. We'll try and figure out a way to have you enjoy those games more or make those games more accessible to you. But in the very, very, very least, we hope you had a good time. We'll see you guys Thursday, hopefully, on our Twitch stream. And we'll talk to you next week.